We've been going through the book of 1 John, and uh, if you want, you can open up your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. Uh, that's where we're going to pick up today, so if you want to get there. Uh, but um, you, you may have some friends, or, or maybe you, you have some children of your own that, that are adopted. We have, a, we have a couple friends that have adopted uh, a child, uh, whether it's from in this country or whether it's from another country. Uh, but adoption is something special, isn't it? You know, to, to see a child that sadly has a parent or, or a set of parents that can't take care of them, or, you know, even more tragic is, is when you have a parent that just doesn't want them. And so these, these children are, are put up for adoptions and, you know, they go through the foster system. You know, but, but when you have this other set of, of parents who don't know this child at all, but are, are willing to embrace them as their own family, that really is, is something special that I find. It, to, to see this, this child taken out of a place which may seem like chaos or, or just blatant evil, and to then be loved unconditionally uh, is a beautiful picture of, you know, just of, of the way that God has loved us. Uh, but one of the things that I find really comical sometimes, though, about adoption is we'll be hanging out with, with our friends and we'll be at a park or something like that. And then somebody will start talking to us that doesn't know any of us, right? We're, we're just there hanging out. And they'll, they'll, they'll make a comment like, oh, yeah, your kid looks a lot like you. Or I can, see, I can see which parent they get that from. And you kind of chuckle because, again, if we know anything about science, right, we know that our DNA and our genetics, right, come from our parents, our biological parents, right? We get half the chromosomes from mommy and half the chromosomes from daddy. And so we tend to look like and we tend to act like our actual parents, right? So if we take my family, um, my wife got really greedy and decided to have pretty much all of the kids look like her. Um, and, you know, one of the things that my wife has done very well of, of passing on to our children is, uh, you should see it, it's, it's quite the spectacle in our house. Usually right around June 20th or June 21st, that first official day of summer, it's like this glow just happens over my children and they get this nice golden bronze all over them. I offered them sunburn, but my children didn't want it. Um, <laughs> So, you know, but, but then again, that's it, right? That, that's, that's, that's biological. And, and when I think about my kids, though, I, I would say out of all of my kids, I think Remington is most like me, right? We, we both love sports. We love watching. Uh, we love watching hockey. We love watching football together. We both enjoy history. Uh, so it, it made my heart really glad when he, like, would sink his teeth into a good history book and when he could, he could tell me about historical events. And we both love playing strategy games uh, together. So a lot of times that's what we'll do. You know, I'll come home and we'll say, Dad, let's play a game. And, and I love that. And we both share a great affinity for hoagies. Uh, so we really bond over those kind of things. But again, right, that's, that's part of, of who we are. And when I think about my life, um, you, some of you may know my alter ego, Dr. Un. Uh, and, and when I think about where that came from, that, that came from my dad. My dad was always putting on all kinds of fun activities. So whenever we had a party at our house, my dad would find these creative games and people just would have a blast. And even today, my dad is still doing that. He just retired, and right away he's gone back to where he's at church, and he's, he's helping run games for a children's program, right? That, that's part of who my dad is. 
And again, that has now been passed off to me. And again, why? Because I came from my parents, right? A part of my dad is, is who I am. Uh, but I want to start with that because, again, as we go through this passage today, I want us to keep that in our minds. What is it like to be a part of a family? What are the implications for us when we think about where we came from and who our Heavenly Father is? Okay, so just kind of tuck that away in the back of your mind. So again, uh, we're going through the book of 1 John. And just to go through some general information here, just kind of big picture overview. Uh, John's writing to this group of believers because there have been some individuals that have been starting to cause some problems within the church. Uh, and he wants to reassure them about where their faith should rest and whether or not they have true fellowship with the Heavenly Father and with others. And one of the false teachings that was starting to arise in this time period was called Gnosticism. And it was this idea, and the root word is knowledge, there was this idea that there is a divine spark inside each one of us. And, and that if you could, could understand that divine spark and understand that knowledge, it would bring you salvation. And then you'd be able to understand all of the teachings of life, and, and you would be able to kind of become a part of this divine knowledge. Now, one of the other things about it, though, was, you know, they looked and said, you can't really understand God. He's too hard. He's too incomparable to understand. Uh, they talked about the idea uh, that the physical world was evil and the spiritual world was good. So they would look at Jesus and say, there's no way Jesus could be God, because if Jesus is fully man, therefore he is evil. The material temporal world was evil and only the spiritual world is good. And so there was a direct rejection of who Jesus Christ was in the Gnostic belief. And so John's trying to combat these ideas and he goes through with these absolute truths. And so that's why we see a lot of, you know, light versus darkness, life versus death, lies versus truth. And so John's pitting these against each other because, again, he wants these people to have an assurance and an understanding about where their faith should rest and where their fellowship should be with the Heavenly Father and with other believers. And so he, he's trying to help them with that. And so we, we've walked through uh, chapter 1, this idea that the, the incarnation has come, Jesus has come in the flesh. Again, a direct challenge right away to the Gnostic belief, talking about this idea that there is light and darkness and how we have sin, but we can have forgiveness. And then when we get to chapter 2, He's talking about how we should be loving uh, and not hating upon other people and that he's telling us all of this because he wants us to know God. He wants us to know what it means to have salvation and to be able to overcome the evil one. And then he lays out this piece uh, that we, we talked about uh, last week where you know we're not to love the world or anything in the world uh, and this idea that there are all kinds of antichrists that have come, things that are challenging the scriptures and challenging our faith. And so that's where, that's where we're at, uh, if you haven't been here, or just to kind of get you caught back up again. But as we start the, the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, what we have uh, is that, again, he wants to reaffirm our confidence and our righteousness in Christ alone. And so I'm going to spend the bulk of the time, essentially, in really the first 
one or two verses of chapter three. I'm going to spend most of my time there. Uh, I'll get through all of chapter or all of verse 10, but I'll, I'll spend the bulk of the time there. So if you're kind of like, man, he's really going on and on and on about these two verses, there's a lot there that we have to understand before we move any further as we go on. So let's, let's read here. I'm going to just back up two verses into chapter two. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will uh, be has not been yet made known. But what we know is that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if we start there in verse 3, right, he says, how great is the love of the Father. And in some, some versions, it says, see See what great love the Father has lavished on us? See? Don't you see it? Look, look, see. So, so, so John here is trying to highlight, he's trying to heighten the nature of what he's going to start talking about in this passage. Okay? Because again, he wants us to have absolute confidence in what it is that we're looking at and what we understand. And again, he wants us to understand righteousness is in Christ. It is not some sort of divine knowledge or divine spark that exists inside of us. It is not our own personal righteousness or good works. Everything is through Christ and through the Heavenly Father. And so he starts with that. And that idea of lavish, right? He he lavished his love on us. That, That term conveys an idea of riches, this extravagant riches that are one sided, meaning I give it all to you with no expectation of anything in return. Okay, so when God lavishes his love on us, he's richly giving us love with no expectation that we have to do anything in return for that love. So that becomes really important for us because see, what, here's what we need to understand. When we sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, it separated the human race. From God, right? We were in relationship with God and we are no longer in that relationship. And, and so we have Romans 5.10 that says we are now enemies of God. Colossians, uh, Colossians 2.21 there, we are alienated from God. And Romans 1.24 says that God has given us over to our own sinful desires. So what has God done? God has said, look, here's the world. This is what you chose instead of me. And now you get to be a part of it. This gets to be your family. This is what you wanted, and this is what you can have. But that was not God's desire, was it? Because again, when we go back to the very beginning of creation, God made man to be in relationship with him. Right? They walked together in the garden. They fellowshiped together in the garden. But when Adam and Eve sinned, again, that separated it. And that broke God's heart. And God said, I don't want that. That's not what I desired. And so I'm going to do everything I can to get back into relationship with you. 
But God had to do something first. See, see, God had to reconcile the parts of his character, right? Because God is, is loving and gracious and merciful, right? Hallelujah and praise God to that. But God is also holy and just. And so we say hallelujah and praise God to that. But how do we reconcile these two ideas? Because our disobedience mandated death. And somehow God is trying to love us and forgive us. At the very same time, he is also trying to hold us justly accountable for the sins that we have done. And so God has to reconcile that piece of his nature. And so what does God do? Romans 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How did God reconcile this? God sent his son out of his love and grace and mercy. He said, you deserve to die, but I don't want that. So I'm going to send my son to take your place to redeem you from your, your, your despair, from your brokenness, from God's eternal wrath. I'm going to redeem you by sending my son to the cross because I love you. And at the very same token, this man in Jesus Christ, who has done no sin, who has done no wrong, will therefore be able to cover over and pay for the penalty of that sin, and therefore both my love and my justice is now reconciled at the cross. And when we back up in 1 John 2, we go back one, one verse. It says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the world. And sometimes we see there in certain in variations, it uses the word propitiation. Right? It's this big fancy Bible term, which simply just means God's wrath has been satisfied. So when we are in Christ, God reconciles his nature of love and justice. And at the very same token is therefore able to reconcile him in holiness and our sinfulness in a state of love on the cross. And so then if we continue in Romans, here's now what we see. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And even if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. So as a result, that if I choose to put my faith and trust in Christ, I am given the Spirit, which is now going to give me life as a result of that. And as a result of this life, now we go a little bit further here, Romans 8 and 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
So why, why do we rejoice? Why is this lavish love on us? Because again, we were in a world of sin. We were part of a family that was broken and in despair. And then God said, I don't want that to happen. And I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to bear the burden and pay the cost of what that means to have you a part of my family. So you can call me Abba, Father. And you get to inherit the riches and the blessings of everything in this world and the world to come. That's why we rejoice. See, see what God has done. That's what John is trying to communicate. Now, when I started, I said, I have some friends. This, this is my best friend, Josh, from growing up. We, we have known each other since we were about six years old. We grew up on the same street. We're still really, really good friends. And that beautiful little girl in the pink tutu is Skylar. And they had two kids. And then one day they got together and they said, we feel like we should adopt a child. And so they prayed and they prayed and they got a phone call that said, we have a child here at the hospital. And so instantly they picked up everything. And they got this little beautiful baby girl. And they brought her home. And they cared for her. And they've loved her. And they said, we will do whatever we have to do for this child. You tell us what we have to do. What paperwork do we need to sign? What do we need to do? How much money do we need to have? Whatever we need, we will do it for this little girl. But see, as much as they were willing to do that, that little girl was still not theirs yet. Until the judge said, she's now yours. And the moment that judge said, you have fulfilled everything that I've asked, that little girl is now yours forever. And isn't that the picture with us, with Jesus? Jesus bore every pain that we had, every infliction and sin and every stupid thing that we've done in this world. Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll do it because I love them. Not because of who they are, but because of who I am. And then at that moment, when Christ went to the cross, God said, now you can be a part of the family. And so they wore shirts that said, Team, G Team Jerebus to celebrate. But what do we wear? Our shirts say Team Jesus, right? That's a beautiful picture of adoption. And as I said, <laughs> That's why God lavished his love on us. Because we don't deserve any of this. But he gives it to us freely, graciously. Now, I, I could stop there and say, let's just rest on that. But again, I've, I've got, you know, seven more verses to go. And I said I would get through it all. So let's, let's continue. Uh, now, there's this other part here in verse 2. That says, the reason, uh, it says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what will, be, uh, what will be has not yet been made known, but what we know is that when he appears, we shall be like him. We will be like Jesus, right? And, and so here, here's kind of this other part that I, I want us to think about, that when we're a part of the family of Jesus, our, our spiritual life is not over. It's just beginning, right? 
I, I don't just have Jesus and go, this is the end, and now I can die. God's got so much more for us. But, but here's this interesting thing, that not only are we adopted into Christ's family, right? We're redeemed from a world of brokenness and sin. We're part of this other realm and brought in. We are also born as natural children of God. And let me, let me, explain, let me explain this. So in John 3, 3, it says, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they born again. So in that passage, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is one of these teachers of the law, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And he's like, you just got to be born again. And he's like, what do you mean? I got to go back into my mom's womb? That doesn't make any sense. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's not about going back into your mommy's womb. It's about a spiritual birth. It's about being reborn in who you are as an individual through Christ. And so then we see this in, in Titus 3. It says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us gracious, generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, when I have Christ and the Spirit comes within me, it washes me, it cleanses me, it rejuvenates me, it regenerates me, it makes me something completely new that I never was before. Remember how, how when I, I, I started, we, we were talking about DNA and genetics and how we're like our parents? This is how it is with us in Christ. That if, if my Heavenly Father is to act a certain way, then so should I. And so what do we see then in Ephesians 4? It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self to be created like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when I'm born of the Spirit, and he is my heavenly father, and I made new, I should be like Christ. The way that I used to live should have no part of me anymore because that's not my DNA. It's not my genetics. It's not who I am in Christ. And then when we continue just a little bit further in the end of, of verse 2 there, it says, we shall see him as he is. That one day we will experience the unhindered, Glory and the manifestation of God. Why? Because we are heirs to all things. And so as a result of this, as a result of this lavish love, here's what he then says in verse 3. Everyone who has this hope, this hope in Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. He's now saying, listen, if you are in Christ... This should be a motivation for you towards obedience. And so here's what he talks about now if we go on to verse, verse 4. He says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning, and no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him and we cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. There, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God and nor does anyone who does not love his brother. So he says, look, if you're going to be a child of God, there's an expectation here. I've lavished my love on you and you are part of my family. And, and again, you did nothing to deserve it. But you've got to understand something. If, if, if you are in me and I am in you and we share this spirit together, and you are part of this family. You will act like this family. Because what does it say, right? In him, there is no sin. So if there's no sin in Christ, there should not be sin in our lives. That, that's, not, that's not a genetic makeup of us anymore when we've been rejuvenated in Jesus Christ. Because if we go on sinning, then what Jesus does is he looks at us and he says, you're not part of my family. There's your family over there led by the father devil. That's where you belong. And Jesus says, if you're going to be a part of me, you're going to get rid of that sinful flesh. And you're going to be in obedience to what I'm calling you to. That's how we know if we have fellowship with the Father. And if we have fellowship with one another. You know, the book, again, repeats this idea of life, light, and love. And it keeps cycling through these patterns of life, light, and love, life, light, and love, right? This, this, is, this is what it is. This is what we want you to try to understand. And, and as a result of this, it's not just a recognition of that, but he's calling us to transformation. And we see this throughout Scripture. Second Corinthians, uh, we're being transformed into his image. Romans 2, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Colossians 3, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Galatians 5, you will live by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This, this is what we are to look like. This is how we are to act. This is how we are to talk. This is how we are to think. So whatever you did before Jesus, it's done. It's over. You've been forgiven of that. But that doesn't continue. Not in this family and not in this house. You know, I think one of the greatest testimonies that we can hear is when somebody in the world comes up to us and says this. Why are you different? What a simple phrase. Why are you different? Think about that. The reason why they're asking is because they say this is how the world lives, but you don't live like the world. I don't get it. You're, you're, not, you're not pursuing all this wealth and money. You're all about helping other people and loving on them. You're all about this kindness when people spit in your face. Why? Why would anyone want to live like that? Because my heavenly father lavished his love on me. That's why I'm different. That's what he's calling us to be. Because I've been made new in the father. And so here's the thing. If, if Jesus is my dad and he was called to be the light of the world 
And he was called to live unconditionally and sacrifice his life to love and serve this world so they may be redeemed for their sins. What John is calling us to is the very same thing. If your dad's going to be the light of the world, guess what? You as the church, you better be the light of the world. And if my heavenly father is going to go to the cross and die for these people, guess what? You are going to live a life unconditionally and sacrificially for these people. Why? Because he redeemed you out of brokenness. And I'm calling you to that same thing, just like your father, to say, are you living a life that causes people to ask and say, I want redemption for my own brokenness. That's how we are supposed to be living as believers. John Piper talked about this idea. He said, the only reason why we have transformation is because we've been re regeneration. I've been made new. And the only reason why I've been made new is because the incarnation of Jesus Christ into this world and the incarnation of the Holy Spirit into my own heart. If there's not transformation in our life, guys, we need to consider something. Has God not made me new? Has God not come into my heart to dwell and change me? Maybe that's why we don't look any different from the world. Because we're still chasing after the wrong father. And so let me, let me give a challenge and a call to us here. When we look at this passage, don't get me wrong, this is great, guys. We love the fact that God lavished his love on us. But he called us to something more. And so maybe for some of us, this is a call to repentance. Maybe there is something lingering in your life that is plaguing you, that you need to get before the Father and say, Father, forgive me, because this is a sin. Maybe this is a call to boldness and courage, because you've been living a life that seems to kind of just skate alongside the rest of the world because we're afraid, we're too timid. And maybe God is now calling you to say, are you going to start living differently? Are you going to start challenging this world? Maybe for some of us, this is a call to say, do you know Jesus in your heart? Have you experienced the presence of his Holy Spirit and the life-changing nature by submitting your life wholly to him as King and Lord? These are some hard things sometimes, right? Nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to feel like that we're, we're being a sissified Christian. Nobody wants to believe that they're going to hell, that we're all good and we're all okay. But again, the reason why we do it though is that lavish love. You and I were deserving of the wrath of God. You and I deserve nothing but death in this world. But we have a God that created this world that had you in mind and from the very beginning said, I want to be your daddy. And so what is he doing? He's calling his children home. His arms are always there, wide open. You don't need a key because the door is always unlocked. You just got to find it through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we rejoice in your love, your goodness, your grace, your mercy.
God, we rejoice in the fact that you were willing to redeem us unconditionally, not of anything out of our own doing. In our state of sin, you said you've loved us. And Father, forgive us when we take advantage of that and we walk in a way of the world that we're not supposed to. Father, forgive us when we hide behind walls and behind curtains and we tuck ourselves away unwilling to speak your name. So Lord, I, I pray that there would be a transformation of our hearts. That Penn Valley Church, the family that attends here, would be able to walk amongst our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our communities. And the question that we get asked is, why are you different? And Lord, I pray that the response is because of Jesus Christ. That is my prayer, that this week we can live in a way that someone has to question why we're different. And it's because we live for you because you lived for us. Amen.